Come on and praise the Lord today. All right, you may be seated. Well, let me just first of all look into the cameras and say to those of you here at Durham and all of our campuses, um, it is really good to be back. It's great to be back here with you today. Um, a lot of you asking, how am I doing and how was the sabbatical? It was really, really good. And uh, you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks ahead. I'll start back teaching next Sunday and I'll be sharing, you know, some things that, that uh, God's been doing in my life. But today, I uh, just want to say it's great to be back and I want to welcome all of the campuses. Can you help me? I'm talking about the Sanford campus, the Hillsborough campus, the Garner campus, the Kenya campus. By the way, Kenya campus, we're, we're taking good care of Pastor Moses. That's the, that's the campus pastor for the Kenya campus and he's here with us for a month or so. So we're taking good care of your campus pastor and we're praying for you while you are there. The Durham campus, welcome the Durham campus, all of you. And those of you who are online, welcome one, welcome all. So glad that you are here. Uh, next Sunday, just want to make a note of this. I will be kicking off a brand new series called Ecclesia. You're like, what? Everybody say Ecclesia. One more time, a little bit stronger. All the campuses, go. Ecclesia. It's the word, it's the Greek word for church. And uh, we're starting a series next Sunday talking about the church. It's a game changer. We've got these two Sundays coming up, the 22nd and the 29th, and even going to Labor Day, where we will be talking about uh, game changer Sundays and, and the role of the church. And if you love the church, um, you're going to love this series. And I'm really, really excited to kick that off uh, next week. Before I introduce our speaker today, do we have any cheerful givers at any of the campuses today? Yeah. All kinds of ways for you to give and sow into the ministry of this church. You can text in, uh, NH Movement to 77977. You got your app. You got online giving. Many of you still give in person. We have the black boxes at all of the campuses. But I just want to say this about the offering. Hebrews 12, 15 says this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And I got a question. Is that not why we sow into the ministries of the church? Because people matter to God. Amen? Therefore, they matter to us. So I just want to take a moment to thank you for your generosity, for your faithfulness, uh, for those of you who sow into this ministry. If you haven't, really encourage you to go online, set that bad boy up. You can hit reoccurring giving, and you can know that you're being a part with all of us in helping people not miss the grace of God. Well, today, um, you have an unbelievable privilege of hearing from my dear friend, uh, Pastor Steve Poe. Um, you guys often hear me talk about my tribe, and uh, it's, it, it ranges from about 14 to 18 or so pastors who lead amazing churches around the country, and we typically meet a couple times a year, and um, we just sharpen one another. And we'll be meeting in October, in fact. Um, Pastor Steve is an amazing leader. Uh, he leads a church that I just preached at a few weeks ago called Northview in Indianapolis. It has grown rapidly under his leadership. Uh, he has now served that church 21, going on 22 
years. It's been named in Outreaches Magazine as one of the fastest growing churches in the nation. He is a gifted, godly man that I respect deeply. I shared this with uh, Northview when I preached there. Um, I consider him to be a mentor of mine, one who has, has gone before me and has more experience than me. And uh, I just, anytime I can be with Steve, I am thankful for his friendship and his influence in my life. And therefore, I'm excited that you get to experience him as he brings closure to our series, Killing What's Killing You. I'll say more about this at the end of the, uh, the day, um, and your campus pastors will as well, and I hope Steve will mention it as well, but he's written a book, Creatures of Habit, and uh, we've got that at all of our campuses. I cannot encourage you enough to get this book. He, he lists all these habits in there that tend to hurt us and take us out, and it really has been the foundational book for this entire entire series, Killing What's Killing You, highly recommend you picking up a copy when you walk out of the campuses today. But for now, do what you do, New Hope. I don't even have to encourage you to do it. You know how we receive folks who bring the word to us. Here we go. Welcome my friend, Pastor Steve Poe. Well, hello, New Hope. Hey, big shout out to all of the campuses. It's such an honor to be here, seriously. I have heard about your church for so many years and have not had the opportunity or privilege to be here, and so it really feels good. I'll tell you what, you've got a pastor that absolutely loves you. I'm as serious as I can be. He talks about you fondly all the time. I've known Benji now for about seven years, and I have found that not only is he a great pastor and leader and author and communicator, He's just a great guy. I mean, seriously, I've told my wife that several times. I said, you know, there's one thing about Benji. Everybody likes him. I, I don't know what it is, but I've been kind of going to school on that, trying to figure out what it is about his personality that everybody he gets around just likes the guy. He spoke at our church, as he mentioned, a couple weeks ago, and he just uh, knocked it out of the park. I mean, we had several salvations. He shared his story. You guys have all heard his story. And we had many salvations and just a lot of folks in tears. And so it was a great day, and uh, I love the opportunity of having him there. Just love the guy. Would you just, could we just honor him? Would you mind? Well, let me pray and I'm gonna jump right into this. God, I just thank and praise you for your faithfulness. You're an incredible God. What an opportunity it is to gather together as the body of Christ and to sense your presence very much in this place today. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just move among us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes and ears that we might see and hear all that you want to do in each of our lives. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, God, for your amazing love. I just pray now that you would use my words to just penetrate our hearts that we might be more like Christ. Thanks, God. We love you and praise you. We just ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So guys, I grew up in a middle-class home with parents that absolutely loved me. And yet I had a father with a whole lot of unresolved anger. I never quite knew what was gonna cause him to blow or what might just set him off. It might literally be a teenager driving down the road too fast and he'd jump up out of his chair and run outside, cursing and swearing at him. Or it might be that I had the television too loud at night when he was trying to sleep and he would come out 
cursing and swearing. Whatever it was, I'm just telling you that when it happened, things got loud and the explicitives began to fly. These outbursts of anger created a lot of different emotions in me as a child. Everything from fear to embarrassment to anger over his anger. On one occasion, I think I was about 11 years old and I was going with him somewhere and something caught his attention and he was looking off to the side and didn't notice the car in front of him had stopped and he rear-ended it. Immediately, his first response was to turn to me and start cussing and swearing and blaming me for not telling him the car was there. You see, something had obviously happened in my father's life long before he got in the car that day. And I don't mean minutes or hours before, but I literally mean years before. Some injustice in his life that was totally unrelated to that fender bender, some hurt or offense that was never resolved. And so it left him responding to every perceived injustice with anger. Well, after a while, his anger became so much a part of his life that he didn't even notice the damage it was doing to the people that he loved the most. Now, fortunately for me, this story ends on a much happier note because my dad, when I was in my teenage years, my dad stepped across the line of faith and invited Christ into his life, and it radically changed him, and it was a big change. Literally, he went out of his way to make sure that I knew he loved me and to make sure he knew that he was proud of me. Now, guys, I'm not telling you that he never got angry again because like all of us, there were things that upset him. But I do believe he broke that habit of responding to every difficult situation with anger. Well, today I'm talking about, or you guys have been in a series actually talking about killing what's killing us. The series is based on a new book that I've just written in May called Creatures of Habit that uh, Benji just told you about. I... I, did a, I, I started out by doing this as a sermon series, and so I was doing the research on this, and I discovered so many things about habits that I really had no idea that I just continued to do more and more research, and I just thought, you know, I've got to create a book on this. Because I found in my research that most of us, seriously, most of us greatly underestimate the power that habits have on our life. We really do. In fact, psychologists and neurologists have told us that over 40% of everything you do during a day is done out of habit. Think about that. 40% of everything you do every single day is done out of habit. Now, what is a habit? A habit is a simple choice that we make when repeated enough times, it becomes an unconscious pattern. I want you to remember that. It becomes an unconscious pattern. So what do I mean? So I mean that today, I, let's say, I'm, I'm uh, approached with something and I have to make a decision whether I'm gonna do it so I think it through logically and I decide to do it. Tomorrow, I'm faced maybe with the same thing. I don't have to think about it as much because I already did that the day before. The next day, I think about it less, the next day less until it just becomes second nature. It becomes a habit in my life that I don't even give thought to, it just takes place. Now guys, those habits become our identity. They become how people recognize us. In other words, we become known for our habits, good or bad. So let's say that, um, let's say that you and I are good friends and somebody comes up and they wanna know about you. And they say, tell me about Joe or tell me about Jane. And I say to them, well, you know, they're as honest as the day is long. You can trust them. But at the same time, they're a bit of a complainer. What have I just done? I have just described you by your habits. 
because our habits become our identity. So in other words, maybe you're an honest person of integrity, but you do tend to complain. Those have become habits in your life. That's the way people are gonna describe you. And that's why it's important that we establish good habits in our life. You say, okay, Steve, so how do we know whether it's a good habit or a bad habit? That's a great question because our brain can't delineate between the two. Our brain doesn't know whether it's a good habit or a bad habit. Good habits, now as Christians, as believers, we know that uh, scripture makes it clear that we're to exemplify Christ. That the whole idea is that we take on the nature and the characteristic of Christ. So a good habit are those things that reinforce our desire to be Christ-like, okay? The Bible calls those spiritual disciplines. And those things are stepping stones in our life. So in other words, as I develop good habits, as I develop spiritual disciplines, they become stepping stones. They help me to get closer to taking on the nature of Christ. On the other hand, a bad habit conflicts with who Christ wants us to be. So in other words, when we establish a bad habit, it actually pulls us away from the nature of Christ. The Bible calls those spiritual strongholds. And they also, if, if created a, enough of a habit, they can actually become addictions in our life and they become tombstones, not stepping stones. They're not helping us get closer to Christ. They're a death to God's purpose and plan in our life. They'll destroy what God wants to do in our life. The other thing that I discovered as I researched on habits is I didn't realize how much the scripture actually talks about habits. I was surprised by that. And the reason I hadn't noticed it before is because it didn't call them habits. So for instance, in Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, do not conform to the pattern. What did we say the definition of a habit is? It's an unconscious pattern. And Paul says, as he's writing to the church, he says, do not conform. Don't wrap yourself, your brain around the patterns of this world, the bad habits of this world, but be transformed, be changed. How? By the renewing of your mind. He's saying the way you're gonna be changed is by changing your mindset. You're trying to break old habits by replacing them with good habits. So Paul's talking about bad habits and good habits. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, guys, before you invited Christ into your life, think about this with me for just a minute. Before you invited Christ into your life, sin had a grip on you. Sin had a hold on you. And then you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life. You step across that line of faith, and God breaks that hold God breaks that grip that sin once had on you. In other words, he gives you the power to say no to sin. And yet, through the years, I've had so many Christians, so many believers come to me and say, Steve, I've been a believer now for five years. I've been a believer for 10 years, and I just don't feel like I'm moving forward spiritually. I just don't feel like I'm making any headway, and I don't understand what the problem is. The problem is, is that you've not dealt with the bad habits. Guys, you didn't establish a habit overnight. You're not gonna break it overnight. So even though God has given you the power to say no to sin, you still have to deal with those bad habits. You have to be intentional and say, you know what, this is not, this is not healthy in my life. This is a spiritual stronghold. And so I'm gonna be intentional to break the bad habit and establish a good habit. I think this book 
really will help you in that area. When I was deciding what chapters were gonna be in it, I made a list of 40 bad habits. I said, okay, which 12 do I wanna deal with? And it was easy, I thought, well, let, let me start by pulling out the ones that have been a problem for me. And so I pulled out actually 12 that I put in the book. I've struggled with every one of these. All 12 of these have been an issue to one degree or another in my life. So I felt like, okay, I've got a, I've got a, a, a heads up on this or I'm, a, I'm ahead already because I've dealt with it. I've struggled with it in my own life. And so I really do believe that this book can actually be more of a workbook for you because in every chapter, I give you the steps that you can take to break this bad habit. So maybe you look at the book and say, well, there's really only three of them I struggle with and focus in on those three chapters and break those bad habits. Maybe a year from now, you come back and say, you know what, I, I, it's starting to get a hold of me again. So you go back to those steps and you start working those things again and again. Well, today we're gonna to talk about the topic of anger, but I think it's important to mention that anger is not always a bad thing. In fact, anger is a God-given emotion. It's when, it's when anger becomes a habit or the way we automatically respond to things, that's when it becomes a problem. So again, when we think about a habit, what creates a habit, you start out and somebody does something to you that, that's kind of offensive and you choose to get angry. The next day somebody else does something to you, you choose to get angry. And before you know it, you're not even considering or thinking about it, it's just become the way you respond to people. You've created a habit of anger. Every one of us in this room know of people that have a habit of anger. And if you were to describe them, their identity, you would just say, they're just an angry individual. They're just an angry person. It seems like everything ticks them off. I don't know what's going on in their life or what makes them so mad. Just like I described with my father. They're just an angry individual. Listen to me. Anger is designed to help us deal with any threat that might come into our life. But it becomes a problem when you lose control of your words or you lose control of your actions. For instance, we all know, if you've read the Bible, you know that Jesus got angry when he ran the money changers out of the temple. You see, the merchants were turning religion into a money-making scam, and quite honestly, it ticked him off. And I think there are other things, as you read through Scripture, there's other things that made Jesus angry. Any kind of injustice angers God. I think it angers God to see an adult harm a child. And yet, even though Jesus got angry, it's also interesting to note that the scripture in several places makes it clear that Jesus never sinned. So even though we know for certain he got angry, the scripture makes it clear that he never sinned. You see, the type of anger that Jesus demonstrated was more what we would call a righteous indignation. He got angry at those who acted contrary to God's standard of right and wrong, to God's standard of fairness, justice, and goodness. This type of anger is directed more at the wrong that was done and not so much towards the person involved. Does that make sense? It's more directed towards the wrong, the injustice, than it is the person involved. In fact, it's this kind of anger that's produced great movements across our country. For instance, such as MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Their anger over the loss of their own children by a drunk driver caused them to do something about it by starting one of the largest victim advocate groups in America today. 
On the other hand, anger is the emotion that many of us experience when the things in our world are just not going the way we want them to go. Maybe you've been working towards a promotion and it goes to someone else that makes you so angry. Or you tell your kids to clean their room and they ignore you. That makes you so angry. You know what? Uh, as I said, if anger becomes your immediate response every time you don't like something, then you're establishing a habit. You're establishing an unconscious pattern. And it has the potential to wreck your health, wreck your peace of mind, destroy your relationships, and even threaten your career. I cannot tell you, growing up, I cannot tell you how many jobs my father had. He was fired over and over again because of his anger. And again, until he became a believer and then all of a sudden he was able to hold a job because he broke that habit of anger in his life. I one time years ago, I had Dr. Uh, Dobbins, not Dobson, but Dobbins, who's a psychologist. I brought him in to speak to a men's group in our church. And I always remember because he stood up in front of those men and he said, he said, gentlemen, men have three issues that they struggle with. Number one is sexual issues. Number two is anger issues. And number three, they lie about the first two. <laughs> anger has become an epidemic in America today. You see signs of our nation's irritability everywhere you go. I mean, the polarization of the political system, come on, the everyday nastiness of the online world, the cancel culture. And, and what's really alarming to me is that we're seeing all of these things creep into the church world as well. Or even the worst place is the workplace or school shootings. I mean, you're afraid to lock eyes with anyone today because you're afraid they're gonna pull out a gun. And yet most violence, hear me on this, after saying all that, most violence in America today is not random. American, the American SPCC says there's over four million child abuse cases reported every single year. You know what startles me about that? Four million reported. Think about how many there are that go unreported. But many of these child abuse cases are carried out by angry, out of control parents. Friends, no one is born with anger issues. It is learned behavior, which is why if you're a parent, please hear me on this. If you are a parent, you need to learn to control your anger in front of your kids. You may think, well, that's the way my parents were, and it's just every kid is used to that. Don't you believe it? Psychologists have called our generation the age of rage. It's become so common that we've created our own rage vocabulary. For instance, there is road rage. Now, every one of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about with road rage, and some of you may have experienced. There is checkout rage. You've stood in a line, a checkout line that's not moving, and you feel your anger begin to rise. There is phone rage, where they've put you on hold, and the longer you wait, the more you just feel your anger beginning to rise. I hear the uncomfortable laughter because we... <laughs> Many have experienced it, haven't you? We see it in recreational activities such as golf rage. Oh yeah, it's very real. I was golfing with uh, three buddies years ago, all pastors actually, I shouldn't admit that. <laughs> but we were golfing and this one guy, one of the pastors did have some anger issues in his life and he was having a bad day. He was just not, he was just not doing well. And he hit a bad one and he got so frustrated he took his club and he threw it into the pond. 
Well, that was, that was uh, uncomfortable. And so we all get in the cart and we drive to the next hole. Nobody's talking, nobody's saying anything because it's really uncomfortable now. And then two holes later, he finally, he stops, he gets in the cart, he goes, I'll be back. And he goes back to that pond and he wades out into that murky pond and gets his club and he comes back and the rest of the day he played with wet trousers. Proverbs chapter 14, 29 says, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. There are some of you that I know, you would argue that you just can't control your anger. You would say, Steve, I appreciate everything you're saying, but I've gotta tell you, I, would, I wish I could. I really do wish I could control my anger, but I just can't. Guys, I just gotta push back, I really do. Because while you might not be able to control the situation and you might not be able to control the way you make, it makes you feel, you certainly can control how you respond to anger. You certainly can control how you express your anger. It reminds me, and this too is a, I'm told is a true story. I read this uh, a few years ago about a passion play that was done uh, in one particular city. It was a living passion play outdoors. And so the guy that was playing Jesus was, they were walking up this hill and he was carrying the cross and they were, uh, of course, acting as if they were whipping him. And the, the uh, audience was literally along the path on the side. Well, there was a heckler. And this heckler, just for whatever reason, just kept picking on Jesus. He kept yelling things out to him, telling him how horrible he was doing it. I mean, he was relentless, he wouldn't stop. And all of a sudden, Jesus is walking up the hill and he stops and he sets down the cross and he goes over and hits him in the face. He goes back, he picks up the cross and he starts going again. So, get this, so the director afterwards, he's like, what are you doing? He said, you can't, I can't have one of my actors punching out one of the people that, he said, I know he was a jerk, but I can't have you hitting the people. He said, especially my Jesus. And he's like, I'm so sorry, I just, I lost it. He just got on my nerves. And he's like, well, I, I'm gonna fire you if something like that ever happens again. He goes, it'll never happen again. So day two, he's walking up the path again. Here's the heckler, he won't stop. He's worse today than he was the day before. This guy is grinding his teeth, he's clenching his fists, he's trying to do, not trying to ignore him. And then all of a sudden he puts down the cross. He goes over and he punches him in the nose. He goes back and picks up his cross and on he goes. Well, the director says, you're done. You're done. I told you, I warned you. And he's like, please don't fire me. I'm telling you, I'll never act in this town again if you fire me and I need this job. It'll kill my reputation. He said, just one more opportunity. And he said, I'll give you one more chance, but if it happens again, don't even come talk to me. Just get your things and, and leave. You're not a part of this anymore. I promise, I promise. So that, that third day, the heckler is there again, and he is relentless, and he just, and this guy is and grinding his teeth. He's angry, and finally he stops, and everybody's thinking, oh no. He stopped, and he turns towards this guy, and he points his finger, and he says, I'll meet you after the resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I'm just telling you, if we don't learn to control our anger, we will never take on the nature of Christ. Some of you try to use your anger to motivate people. Try to motivate people. You yell at your kids to motivate their behavior. You yell at the sales clerk to motivate her to help you. You yell at your employees to motivate them to work harder. And you know what? It works, at least for the short term. 
at least for the short term. You can scare people into doing almost anything, but in the long run, hear me please, you will always lose. I know some of you think you don't, you just think people know who I am, they understand who I am. You will always lose because anger always alienates people. I mean, think about it guys, when people are angry at you, when people are shouting at you, does that draw you near to them? Does that make you feel uh, warm fuzzies toward them? Or does that push you away? Well, obviously it pushes us away. If someone is yelling at me, if someone is angry at me, I'm not endeared to them at all. I'm gonna be pushing back. If you're a parent, hear me please. If you're a parent and you're using anger to motivate your kids, you are actually pushing your kids away from you. You may not think so, but I promise that you are. Listen, when your kids are young, they think you're a superhero. I mean, everyone else might think you're a bit quirky, they might think you're a bit odd, not your kids. Your kids think you can do no wrong. Their spirits are wide open to you. So, I mean, here you are, and here you are trying to raise your children and they love you, they think you're awesome, and their spirits are wide open. But you keep yelling at them and keep getting angry at them and what's happened is their little spirits just begin to close. And it'll get to a point, you may be living under the same roof, but their spirits are closed. And, and, and you know, we call it a generation gap and we try to blame it on everything else. It's the culture, it's the world that we live in. But if you're really honest, in many cases, it doesn't have anything to do with the culture. It doesn't have anything to do with the generation gap. It has to do with you've been demonstrating anger towards your kids and you've closed down their spirit. Paul recognized this danger and tried to warn us of it in Ephesians chapter six, when he said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Listen, friends, if you struggle with the habit of anger, you may feel like there's nothing you can do, but you have more control over your anger than you think you do. You can learn to express your emotions without losing control. So today, today I wanna give you a few steps that you can use to break this habit in your life. Now again, I'm gonna give them to you quickly. In the book, I go into a whole lot more detail on each one of these steps, but I wanna give it to you quickly. Can I just put a disclaimer here? Can I just say this, guys? If you, if you have an anger issue and you do these steps and it still doesn't help, please get professional help. Please get professional help. Because while you may think everybody's accustomed to you and everybody's just used to you, I promise you, you're closing everybody's spirit in your life. And you're gonna end up at the end of your life with all kinds of regrets, thinking, why didn't I take the initiative to do something about this? So you say, well, I don't need a counselor. You need a counselor if you're pushing all of your family and the ones you love the most away. So I would encourage you, Try these steps. I believe you will, I believe you can have success with putting these steps in motion, but, but if it doesn't, please get help. We often try to excuse our behavior by blaming others for our anger. You know what, Steve, it's those kids of mine. You don't understand, they make me so angry. It's my coworkers that I work with. They make me so mad. If she wouldn't have said that, Steve, I wouldn't have lost my temper. Listen, before you ever break this habit of anger, you have to own it. You have to take responsibility for it. And the one thing that I talk about in every single chapter, when you get to the steps, before I list the steps and go through them, I say you have to own it, you have to acknowledge it. Now, I, I've owned every one of them. 
These are 12 that I've struggled with and I've acknowledged and I own the fact that they've been an issue for me. And so because I've owned it and acknowledged it, then I was, then I was able to take those particular steps and I believe that they helped. Now, I wouldn't tell you that there, none of them are an issue for me because some of them I still struggle with, some of them I still have to go back and do some of the steps. But let me give you some steps you can take to break the habit of anger. Number one, identify the source of your anger. Identify the source of your anger. If you have a habit, if you have a habit of losing control over every perceived injustice, then you need to figure out what's really behind your anger because anger is rarely the primary problem. In other words, it's usually, anger is usually the result of a much deeper problem or deeper issue, such as what? Well, it could be pride. Maybe you're struggling with pride and because of your pride issues, you're demonstrating it or responding in anger. It could be hurt. Someone hurt you uh, emotionally or you're physically hurting, insecurity, embarrassment. But once I understand what's behind my anger, I'm more likely to resolve it. I'm more likely to deal with it, for instance. Physical or emotional pain can cause you anger. When I was younger, through my 30s, I know some of you probably thought I was still in my 30s. I'm not, I'm really much, really much older than that. But anyway, in my 30s, um, I, I got some unexplained joint pain and it just continued to get worse and went to doctors, some said it was fibromyalgia, some said it was other things, but I struggled with almost a decade of intense pain that I was living with every day. And because of it, I found myself uh, becoming impatient. I found myself losing my temper more with the people around me. So the primary problem was not my anger. The primary problem was I was not responding well to the pain in my life. Or maybe someone hurt your feelings or maybe someone broke your heart. These are all common causes of anger. Guys, I'm just saying, if you can identify the source of your anger, you're more likely to understand how to deal with it. Number two, Learn to calm down before you react. Learn to calm down before you react. When you start to feel those emotions of anger rise up, and you all know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like you're, you're, all of a sudden you feel it. It's just starting to rise up within you. When you start to feel that, that's a time to take a moment and step away. If you're starting to feel it with your spouse, and you know any minute this is gonna blow, you just need to step away. Say, you know what, I'll be back in a few minutes. I just need to take a walk. I just need to, to walk away from this. Or you feel it rising up and you're getting ready to yell at your kids, just step away to collect your thoughts. Self-talk can be so very effective. You know, you're, you're asking yourself, is it really worth getting this upset over? Will my anger really solve anything? In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11, it says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. In other words, think before you speak. Put your mind in gear before you put your mouth in motion. I've heard it said, I've never regretted silence, but I've often regretted what I spoke. In James chapter 1 verse 19, it says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Boy, that's a good one to put in your medicine cabinet or on your refrigerator, on your, micro, on your microwave. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Number three, get some exercise. 
get some exercise. It helps, it really does. It helps to take a walk, it helps to go to the gym, helps to ride a bike, whatever you do, maybe you go for a run, whatever you do, it helps to reduce your anger and your stress level. Experts say that exercise helps to increase the release of endorphins in our life, which help to reduce, uh, it's a soothing effect. It helps to reduce the stress level in your life. Number four, let go of my anger correctly. Guys, there's a lot. I, I say a whole lot more about this in the book. There's a lot that could be said about this. But just decide that you're not going to handle, please hear me, just decide that you're not going to handle your anger in inappropriate ways. For instance, don't repress your anger. You know, some of us, some of you think you're doing the right thing by just shoving your anger back down. You feel it rising up and you just keep shoving it down and you think you're doing the right thing, but you can't repress your anger because your anger will always find a way to be expressed. Don't use sarcasm, for instance. Some of you think you're pretty witty with your sarcasm, but it's actually coming from repressed anger. Some of you try to manipulate to get your own way. Others of you have a vindictive spirit that says, I don't get mad, I just get even. Listen, whether you complain, blame, or criticize, people that are always negative are usually trying to repress their anger. But anger will always find a way of release. You know, I read before that when you get electrocuted, that electricity is such, so toxic to our body that electricity has to find a way of release. It will come out your fingertips, it'll come out your knees, it'll come out, but that electricity is too toxic to remain in our body and it'll find a way of release. I think the same thing is true with anger. It's an emotion that's so powerful, you can't just repress it, it's gonna find a way to come out in some very inappropriate ways. By the way, did you know that there is another word for repressed anger? And that's the word depression. Depression is frozen rage or repressed anger. And yet on the flip side, you can't just express your anger with violent or abusive reactions or verbal abuse. When you do that, guys, you're leaving burn marks on everyone that's in your path. One pastor said, we often act like a skunk. We spray our stinking temper on anyone that gets in our way. Number five, practice forgiveness. Jesus was unjustly beaten and mocked. They placed a crown of thorns on his head. They nailed his hands and feet to a wooden cross. If anyone had the right to be angry, I think it was Jesus. And yet, do you remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you really want to get rid of your anger, you have to decide, you have to be intentional that you're going to forgive the person who's done you wrong. I've heard it said that holding on to forgiveness is like drinking rat poison, hoping that the rat will die. In Colossians chapter three, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Lewis Smeads once said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. And yet forgiveness is a process. And yet while it might take time to let it go, you can, listen to me guys, you can forgive that person that's wronged you. Number six, give your anger an expiration date. Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, he said, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, it's making a determination that okay, I am dealing with some anger here and I'm not gonna let the sun set before I deal with this. 
I'm not gonna carry it over into the next day. When you allow angry emotions to accumulate over time, like a pressure cooker, they will eventually explode into destructive and to inappropriate ways that are gonna hurt the people you love and leave you with all kinds of regrets. Number seven, rely on God's control. Listen, if you really believe that God has a plan for your life, you will experience contentment and peace. Please hear me on this, guys, because I really don't want you to miss this. God wants you, the scripture makes it clear, God wants you to experience peace. He wants you to experience contentment. And yet many of you are experiencing anxiety, worry, fear, and anger, and you don't understand why. And the reason why, I could spend a lot of time on this, but I don't have it. The reason why is because you're not living between the two pillars of God's goodness and God's control. It's like when I, live, when I live between these two pillars that I know God is a good God that loves me and I know God's on control, he has my back. He's still on the throne. When I, live, when I know that's true and believe that's true, I experience a peace that passeth all comprehension. But when I step out of those two pillars, I might believe God's a good God that loves me, but I'm not sure if he's got my back. Then all of a sudden, anxiety, fear, and anger begin to rise up. Or I could say, I know God's in control, but I'm not sure if he loves me. Anxiety, fear, and anger are gonna rise up. You have to choose to live between those two pillars and believe what we say that we believe. Maybe you didn't get the home that you bid on, so you wanna get angry, but then you realize, you know what? God has a plan for my life. I may not fully understand what he's doing right now, but I completely trust him. So there's no reason for me to get upset. Listen, friends, anger is not something you can prevent but as long as you learn to keep it under control and don't allow it to become a habit or a spiritual stronghold in your life, you will live a life with more peace and I promise you, you will live a life with healthier relationships. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you and I praise you for your faithfulness in our life. You are an amazing God. And I thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose and a plan for each of our life. And it was never your desire for us to live with this habit of anger controlling us. And so God, today, we make a decision to once and for all, we're gonna be intentional to once and for all break this bad habit. God, we own it that it's a problem and we're gonna be determined that we're gonna take the necessary steps to break this pattern in our life. But God, we can't do it on our own. We absolutely need your help. Give us the courage to act, the boldness to act, the strength to break this stronghold once and for all. We love you and we praise you. We just ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.